Welcome back to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Fund Calibre. This week, we're discussing the Japanese economy, the performance of Japanese equities, and a few of the underlying growth opportunities in the region. I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Calibre, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Andy Brown, who is an investment director on the Bailey Gifford Japan desk. Um, we're going to be focusing on the Bailey Gifford Japanese fund today. Andy, good morning. Thank you for coming in. Good morning. So, look, Japan is a very complex economy. Um, it's always, I've always found that a fascinating place, but. How's it looking now? I mean, it seems to be one of the areas that isn't suffering from the really high levels of inflation the rest of the developed economies are. But the yen is weak. The economy is close to the outside world for some time because of COVID. What's the view from Japan today? Well, it is a very interesting juncture for Japan. In many ways, it's acting in a very different rhythm to to that of economies that we're seeing in the West, for example, Europe and the US. So as you, as you allude to, Japan hasn't really benefited from COVID reopening yet. So as a reminder, it only just ended its, its restrictions at the end of March. Yeah. So we've only had a very recent loosening. COVID went on for much longer in Asia, even though it didn't cause the same level of human tragedy that we've seen in other parts of the world. So there's a lot of pent-up demand in Japan. So I think this is really a great opportunity for investors in, in, in Japan because we should see a big recovery and the second related point is that Japan has very close links with China. Yeah. And as many people will know, China is still in some sort of lockdown. You know, different parts of China are in intermittent lockdowns. And this has a big effect on Japan. First of all, there's no inbound tourism. Yeah. And, and that means that you know, a lot of the growth that some of the consumer games in Japan were experiencing before the pandemic is suspiciously absent. And the second thing is, of course, there's still curtailments in production. And you know, there's still issues with supply chains for a lot of Japanese companies. So there's a big recovery still to be had. Are there early signs of that recovery? There are early signs of that recovery. Some of our skincare names, this is a, an area that we invested, started investing in more at the start of the pandemic. This is a very long duration growth opportunity and very strong brands. And China's um, going through a process of the middle class becoming larger, you know, wealth, wealth gradually increasing, which is very supportive of these sorts of brands. They've started to report slightly better, better sales recently. And, and also China has started to loosen its COVID restrictions very gradually. And that is starting to come through. And now Japan- so I know tourism from China to Japan was a huge beneficiary to a number of sectors. The, the, the skincare being an obvious example, but also the, you know, the, the high-end stuff that the, 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 Jap- the Chinese tourists bought. Yeah, that's right. So that was a big growth opportunity that, that, that got a lot of coverage before the pandemic. And I mean, so Japan has now opened its borders for tourism. And as a reminder to, to the audience, actually, Japan is now very cheap you know, for tourists. It, it, it's, it's in such a period of yen weakness that we can talk about in, in a while that it's now a very attractive destination for tourists to visit. So we will start, see, start seeing tourism come back from the West to Japan. But of course, in China, they're still not allowing and visitors to outside of China in those cases. So, so that's going to be, the Chinese tourists tend to spend a lot more, so we should get much more of, a, of an impact when China opens up. But in the short term, it will still be helpful. And you mentioned the Big Mac Index, which I found quite interesting um, with respect to the weaker yen. Just, just tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, yeah, this is something that, that the economists report on a regular basis. And, and you know, many people will, will think of Japan as quite an expensive place to go. Yeah. You know, historically, it's been one of the most expensive places in the world in terms of real estate costs or in terms of buying things like Big Mac. And well, well, now that's very different. So now the cost of Big Mac in, in Tokyo is, is almost half what it would be in somewhere like New York. So, you know, this is a big change. And it's just a reminder of how attractive Japan is as a tourist destination. There's so many interesting things to do in Japan as a tourist as well. You, you, say, you said the economy is moving at a different pace and in, in a different phase. And I suppose the reopening trade as maybe we could summarise that, has happened more in a developed world and is about to, 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 to come to Japan. So maybe now's the time for Japanese equities. Well, I would argue that, that that is the case. So the US and Europe had quite a big recovery as we exited COVID, I guess it would be sort of after the summer of last year, we started to see a loose of restrictions and things recovered very quickly. And in many ways, the economies in these, these areas are overheating. Yeah. You know, we don't have a labour market issue. What we have is an inflation issue. And, and obviously, there's various supply chain shocks. Now, Japan hasn't yet had that recovery. I think the most recent GDP, the economy fell very slightly. Um, and it fell largely because of supply chain issues and because of lockdowns and continued COVID restrictions. So it seems very likely we'll get a recovery. And you know, Japan will benefit greatly from a loosening of supply chain issues. Japan has a lot of high-tech machinery. It does very well in areas like automation, semiconductors, and, and, and high-tech. And these are all the areas that have suffered greatly from shortages and supply chain issues that typically centre around China. Andy, I'd like to ask you a bit, if I may, I mean, after the, the dreadful killing of former Prime Minister Abe, there's been some narrative from Japan that, you know, that maybe the government will allow them to fade out Arbonomics, you know, that sort of well-known economic um, strategy that, that, that Abe put into place when he was Prime Minister. Do you think that will happen? And if it does, does that concern you? I, I don't. Now, I think often the market likes a narrative, and, and Abonomics was a, a very nice narrative for people to talk about. But I think in reality, these things get overplayed somewhat. Yeah. And, and what, what we saw with, with Abbey coming to power in, in 2012 and some of the policies that he put in place is that they've become very entrenched uh, into the system. Seems very unlikely they're going to change now. The, the most important one was the, the more accommodative stance towards um, monetary policy. Yeah. And that's much more driven by the Bank of Japan. And the government and the Bank of Japan have a very strong relationship. So I think Abi no longer being here shouldn't really make any difference. And, and we know that, that Kishida very much followed the continuation of, of, of the policy that Abi had started. The second important change that Abi put in place was, was focusing more on corporate governance. And of course, Japan has had a series of stewardship codes and corporate governance improvements since then. Again, it's very much entrenched in the system. Yeah. You now know that, 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 all, that nearly all companies have a third of the board independent now. You know that the challenge of those boards is getting better. We know that dividends are being prioritised more highly. We know that we've seen a lot of companies improve themselves by selling down non-core businesses and focus more on returns. So that's all very sustainable. Yeah. And I would say it was very tragic what happened with Abby. It was very, it would be, our thoughts are very much with, with him and his family. It's a very sad thing to happen. He has had a wonderful impact on Japan. But I do think that the, the policies are very, very much entrenched now. I'm not expecting them to change. Yeah, and from a sort of an equity 
perspective, you know, that, that focus on returns, I think, you know, isn't, isn't going to go anywhere because of the, 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 the tragic, um, the tragic passing of former Prime Minister Abe. So let's have a little dig into the fund itself. Um, structural growth is one area. Uh, I, I, I know that you're in digital revolution, demand from emerging Asia and robotics automation. Tell us a bit about why those areas excite you in Japan and if you'd like to touch on a couple of stock examples in those areas. Sure. These areas that you highlight are, are very long-standing expressions within, within the fund and, and that's because they're areas where we see long-duration growth opportunities. Yeah. So really growth over the next decade and, and beyond. So, so maybe if I take each one in, in turn. I mean, first of all, the, the digital revolution uh, it may be surprising to some people, but Japan is actually quite far behind a number of countries globally in terms of its internet penetration. Right. So when we look at things like internet retail and a lot of the internet services that we see across the world, uh, Japan is further behind, but it's beginning to catch up. And there's also this quite interesting situation, probably because of the language difference, that there seems to be a walled garden or a niche or protection around domestic internet businesses in Japan. So the global players are sort of unlikely and have, tr- have tried and often failed to challenge some of these domestic businesses. So we get this opportunity to buy into this very long runway of growth, but at the same time to buy businesses that have quite strong competitive edges and are, are quite protected. So, so one of our favourite names, for example, is a business called CyberAgent. That's actually quite a long-standing holding in the fund. We have added to it relatively recently. And, and CyberAgent has three parts to its business. It's the overwhelming leader in mobile advertising. Right. And, and that's a business. Mobile advertising is, is, is lowly penetrated in Japan relative to the UK or the US, for example. Uh, so there's a very long runway of growth there. CyberAgent has a very strong market share. It's by far the dominant business there. So that seems like a royalty of consistent, steady growth. But then there's two other businesses for CyberAgent. It has a, it has a gaming business where it has an excellent culture of allowing independent gaming studios to to flourish and innovate. And that's led itself to having a number of hits over quite a long period of time. Um, Its most recent hit has been a spectacular success, for example. And the shares have been weak on the back of that coming off. So we've had an opportunity to to add to the position. It also has a very strong position in, in TV streaming. So it has a business that I would describe as a sort of Netflix of Japan type business. And interestingly, CyberAgent has been investing a lot of its profits in other divisions into this new area, and it's grown very quickly. And it was recently given the rights for the, the football, the FIFA World Cup in, in Qatar, so just to demonstrate the power of that platform relative to the traditional TV channels. So, so that would be one of our favourite names. Perhaps to choose another name that we bought more recently is Japan's leading cloud-based accounting software business called Free. Right, so let's bit about that. So this is a business that has half the market in cloud-based accounting software. Um, Japan has a very kind of traditional approach to IT spend. And what tends to happen is companies often don't really have their own in-house IT departments in any great scale. They tend to rely on the big integrators like Fujitsu. And it's often not very effective, not done very well. Accounting, there's a lot of legacy accounting systems. So there's a huge opportunity to shift towards these much more effective cloud-based systems that rely on apps that you can kind of pay as you go, you know, you can scale up as you need to. And, and Free is, is, is a very well-run business. It's got a big inside stake. It's very dynamic. Its top line is growing incredibly strongly, but because it's been hit with this very negative sentiment towards these sorts of businesses over the past year or two, 
we've had an opportunity to buy into this one. There are many other examples I can give you, but, but that would cover the, the, the digital revolution. Um, Maybe a bit on automation and so robotics. The, the fund has currently 17% of its exposure as at the end of June in, in robotics, in, in different flavours. Yeah. Um, there's two reasons why we really like this, this particular area. One is Japan's very good at it. You know, it, it's There's nothing wrong with being good at something, is there? <laughs> it's, it's an overwhelming leader in robotics. And it, 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 the second reason it is, is because there's a very long runway of growth. Now, now, looking at why Japan's good at it, well, well, Japan, as many people will know, has suffered from demographic challenges for a very long period of time. And one way to solve those challenges is, is to make things more efficient and to automate. So it's had a long history of making manufacturing more efficient. And it also has a long history of having a, a unique skill of, of, very, of strength in mechanical and electronic processes. Yep. And that's how it's managed to build out this very effective robotic supply chain. It's a very difficult thing to do, to sort of master these very precise movements required, a combination of hardware and software working together in synchronization. Um, and because these businesses have been so successful, they've become, you know, they've done very well overseas, and they've become very dominant. And they tend to do very well in critical processes. So there's a reluctance from customers to want to use a second best supplier. They want to use the best because they don't want to have any, any downtime. There's an example that I, I, I heard a while ago from BMW that if they have five minutes of downtime, it costs them 250,000 euros you know, in a plant. Yeah. And it just gives you an idea of how important it is for these things to work. To work, well. continuously work, yeah. So, so Japan has done very well there. And... You know, we have holdings in, in FANUC, which is the, the global leader in computer numeric controls. Those are effectively the brains that control the movements of robots. We have a holding in SMC, which is the global leader in pneumatic equipment, um, which is tends to be used in factories. And it's much more efficient than, than hydraulic equipment. It's, it's, yeah. it, it's le- has less emissions as well, which is very important. Um, and, and these businesses have just continued to grow very steadily and, and they've continued to take market share. They've fought off any challenge from lower cost competition, notably in China. But in terms of the opportunity, this is what gets us really excited. Um, technology is always improving in robotics. And as technology improves, it opens up new opportunities, new industries that robotics can use, it can, 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 can go into. Yeah. Go into. And so, for example, we now have these new collaborative robots. So these are robots that humans can work with, that that have more dexterity, uh, and that allows robotics to be used in things like pharmaceuticals, and can be used in in, in more semiconductors and more very niche processes, just generally in the healthcare industry. And we have a lot of medical robots now that are are proving very effective. Um, And so... Robotics, robotics is now moving beyond the traditional industries of cars and, and, and electronics. And, and finally, on, on that one, uh, we're also starting to see a lot of these interesting internet-based platforms. Um, so Fanic have a, a platform called Fields, which enables them to do very clever things they couldn't do before. So remote, remote maintenance of their products, for example, managing the whole efficiency remotely, you know, pr- predictive maintenance of, of, of the robotic equipment, so basically, it just means they can turn things on and off, they can fix things remotely, and they can make the whole plan incredibly efficient. And Very interesting. I mean, huge the, the implications and of, of robotics is only probably early in its lifetime, as you say, there's that gives a huge runway for growth. So we talked about some areas that you like. Um, 
But one of the areas I know you moved out of is, is the car manufacturers, big business in, in, in Japan. Uh, maybe you could tell us what, what, why you've been um, selling your car names. Yeah, when people think about Japan, they often initially think about the you know, cars because it's an area that, that's obviously got a very strong reputation. And obviously in the, in the 80s and 90s, the, the Japanese car companies kind of you know, took the American market by storm. And yeah, they, dominated and dominated and did very well. And they had this very sort of low-cost uh, manufacturing process, which has been very successful. So what's changed since then, obviously, is the change in preference towards drivetrains. Um, and you know, electric cars are, are a genuinely real thing now and they're, they're growing quickly and Tesla has shown us the success that, that can be had there. Now, the, the Japanese companies uh, are now taking you know, electric vehicles very seriously, but they're really quite a long way behind and they have to make some quite significant investments. To- I was just going to say it must cost a lot of money for these companies to, to make those changes and progress. It, it, it does. And, and Toyota is the first one to comment on because it's very much the national champion in Japan and it has stakes in a lot of the other car companies. And, and Toyota's business we've owned for quite some time. You know, it's been very successful. It's a scale business. But they have such a large install base of, of ICE, traditional cars, and petrol-based cars. They're, they've invested very heavily in hybrid technology, which has been leapfrogged now yeah. by electric cars. And a recent review of, of the company sort of brought to bear to us that Toyota has to invest a huge amount, as you say, to catch up in electric vehicles, to catch up in autonomous vehicles. Uh, it still has a huge install base. It has, still has a huge supplier network that are based on the traditional um, conventional petrol engine vehicles. So we feel that, that the capital costs are going to be so high, the returns to investors are going to go down. And even if they end up, you know, winning out in the end, it's hard to see how we make attractive returns for our clients. And Mazda and Subaru are, are two kind of niche Japanese car companies that, that we've invested in for some time. They've been very successful, Mazda, in, in making small cars very effectively and having fun to drive performance cars. And Subaru in having this sort of all-wheel drive you know, vehicle, high levels of safety and a strong franchise in America. But they both have a huge amount of investment they need to make. And they're both very much linked into the fortunes of Toyota. So we've decided to sell out of all of these names. Thank you for that. And, you know, the transformation to EV over the next decade will clearly have winners and losers. And in the short term, if you don't like the car companies, then, then you shouldn't own them. So look, just a couple of questions to wrap up, Andy. Um, the current market narrative or, or, or the the investment style that's been in favour or, or, or maybe a better gift case out of favour for the last year uh, tell us just a, a little bit about the, the, the style that, that, that you employ and, and why that's been out of favour so the two most distinctive features of our style are that we're very long term and that we're focused on growth Yeah. and both of these aspects of our style are greatly out of favour at the moment so the market is taking a very short-term view at the moment, and, and that is because a whole confluence of different factors ranging from supply chain issues, issues with, with, with recovering from COVID, inflation, rising interest rates, yeah. you know, a war in Ukraine has led investors' time horizons to contract, as they often do during periods of angst, uh, and focus on businesses that are making money now, uh, rather than businesses that are making money in the future or expected to make. Yeah, make, make higher profits in, in, in the future. 
And our investing style is all about looking out into the future and, and trying to find businesses that in a decade are going to be much larger than they are today. But the second thing is that our focus on growth has been very challenging because the, what tends to happen is higher growth stocks uh, tend to see a lot of their um, earnings out into the future, so it's related to long-term points. Um, and the market during periods of sort of when people are optimistic, they put higher multiples on, on those businesses because they can see the opportunities out into the future. Whereas at the moment, the market is, has been heavily derating these stocks because interest rates are rising and they're worried that we're discounting future cash flows at higher rates. And those sort of long-duration, long-cash-flow assets have, not just in Japan, I mean, that's a global phenomenon. It's a global phenomenon. That they've been very much out of favour in the last 12 months. And, but what's been unique in Japan is that we actually are not seeing high rates. You know? Yes, yeah. Which is the, the great frustration for us is that, you know, that the stocks are being hit based on the global interest rate rises, yeah. but actually in Japan, interest rates are still only 25 basis points over 10 years, and, 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 and back in Japan policy is still accommodative. So, so that's been the overall sentiment issue. And, and the second point is that we're actually seeing a, a very prolonged weakness in quality names as well at the same time. And we've been adding to these names, actually, they've continued to do very badly. So these stocks, these are businesses that have very strong franchise characteristics, typically very defensible type type businesses, very high market shares, and they would typically be on quite significant premiums to the market. Yeah. They've now been derated to, in many cases, discounts to the market. So this is a great opportunity. To buy those quality compounding type of names as, alongside your growth. Exactly. Uh, and let's, let's just wrap it with a, a, a brief sales message from you, um, why should investors consider allocating some of their money to Japanese equities? Well, I think Japan should always be a region that, that, that investors should think about because it has some world-class companies you know, in areas like robotics, semiconductors, niche manufacturers that are leaders in what they do. Yeah. So it should always be, be some of this considered. But at the moment, it seems to be a particularly attractive entry point. You know, Japan hasn't had the reopening from, from COVID yet. Japan is very closely linked to China. Uh, the long duration, the long-term growth opportunities for China remain intact. Uh, but at some point, we're going to get a snapback when it starts to reopen. And Japan is very well placed to benefit from that. And even with, actually, China is increasingly suffering from regulatory risks. So Japanese companies provide an opportunity to benefit from Chinese growth, but without the regulatory risks that, 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 that may be there in China. So I think the long-term opportunity is there, but actually there's a short-term opportunity for Japan to enjoy a recovery, and valuations are, of course, very attractive. Yeah, and the, when, and the yen being weak could give investors even more supercharged returns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so many things to mention at the moment that I didn't really even focus on the yen, but of course that's another, another boost for, for Japanese companies. Andy, thank you very much for your time this morning. One of the oldest Japan funds in the sector, the Bailey Gifford Japanese Fund is managed by a large team based in Edinburgh and invests in growing Japanese businesses that deliver consistently strong returns to shareholders. To learn more about the Bailey Gifford Japanese Fund, visit fundcaliber.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. 